Hello everybody, welcome back to Game Over Ottawa mod back once again, this time joined by Alex Adams from the Hockey News and the Behind the Play podcast. How are you doing tonight, Alex? Uh, really good despite uh, another uh, pretty disappointing loss. Uh, I'm, I'm really glad to, to be joined with you and, and excited for, for tonight, even though uh, obviously not, not the result and even just the play from the Senators was pretty lackluster throughout but uh I'm, I'm excited to be on the show yeah that probably about sums it up how it's like happy to be here but not too happy to be discussing this game specifically here today right um yeah. i guess like i i do think there's still a decent amount of interesting storylines here but i guess we might as well just jump straight into like overall thoughts on the game to start it off like like you said pretty lackluster performance i feel like the Sens showed a little bit of pushback in the second period which was interesting because usually that's the very worst period but i guess to start things off it was actually the first period that was probably their worst today which was kind of shocking yeah, no, the, the first period was a complete dud. And if Corpusalo d- doesn't make a bunch of big saves, it could have been 2 3 nothing for, for St. Louis. Um, yeah, they just were not ready to play. I think it was 11 0 shots to start the game for St. Louis. They didn't get a shot for the first handful of minutes as well for the Senators. So, yeah, pretty, uh, <laughs> pretty terrible first period. And even though, um, as you said, the, the second period was in a way better, they still gave up two goals and essentially. Mm-hmm went down uh, 3 nothing, And at that point, even though they had a little rally there in the second period, got Brady Kachuk obviously got in that fight, changed everything. Kubelik scores quickly after. And then Batherson had a couple chances. Chikrin almost scored at the buzzer to end the second period, but didn't get that goal. Played well um, in the third period as well, but then give up that back-breaking goal. And, and that feels like that sums up the Senator season a little bit is – too little, too late, or right there, but um, give up a bad goal at the at the wrong time, and uh, yeah, eleven thirteen and zero is not what we expected uh, from this team, and uh, yeah, just haven't been able to to get um, really off the ground and, and running and really play consistent hockey all season. It sucks too with that uh, zero overtime points. This is something that's been bothering me a lot this season. I always talk about how this team is completely incapable of making comebacks, especially in the third period. I think it's now one twelve and zero when when yep. trailing after two periods, and it's especially frustrating on a night like tonight when we saw the Leafs erase a five nothing deficit uh, yeah. <laughs> just on the other end of the province. There um, didn't end up winning the game, but at least you get those loser points, right? So I mean, we get one goal to come from behind in the third period. But but only after allowing another one to the Blues. So it's it's just frustrating. And it's it's been such a pattern this year with Sens games where it kind of feels like you know what the result is going to be, definitely mm-hmm. after the second period, because I think we're also 9-0 when leading after two, right? Yep. And even after the first period as well, it can you kind of get a sense of how the game's going to go, uh, because typically we'll just allow a bunch of goals in the second period. And especially coming into this, with the Blues having an amazing record when scoring first as well, and then (laughs) literally never winning when they don't score first. As soon as the Blues got that first goal, I was just like, all right, that's we're in for a long night. Yeah, I know for sure. I I saw that stat that you put out on Twitter before before the game with um, obviously St. Louis winning every game uh, when they score first and uh, every losing every game when they, when they give up the first goal. But um, yeah, I, I've been in the press box and it always feels like they go down two goals, three goals midway through the second period. 
and they get a goal back, you feel like, okay, they're coming back and either they give up the next goal or it always comes short um, in the end. And, and as you mentioned, they've only had one comeback win and or not just win, but just to get points in a game mm-hmm. uh, going into the third period, which is uh, just terrible. They just haven't been able to pick up those points. As you mentioned, the Leafs, what they did tonight, obviously that's pretty miraculous, but the Sens haven't had anything like that. And it just feels like this team's a bit immature. I don't know what you think about this team, but um, Brady Kachuk obviously stood up for his teammates, but they just they just weren't aren't there. They're not playing consistent on the fourth goal. Stutzla's there, doesn't really try um, to to kind of take away the lane for Bustinevich, and um, that's kind of the backbreaker when they were in the game. Um, Jacob Chikrin goes to get a stick. I don't know why. Uh, let's uh, kind of um, just allow it for the third goal. So overall, um, this team is just incredibly frustrating. I, as Sens fans, um, it felt like this was the year where there's optimism, things are changing, and if anything, it's it's worse than last year, at least in a lot of ways, um, uh, just because of those expectations. And, um, you know, obviously a lot of people are talking about DJ Smith, I think that's fair to point out, but I would also mention that a lot of it is on the players, right? Mm-hmm. The yeah. day, it's the players. It's not like hockey isn't a game like football or basketball that's more dependent on coaching. It's, you know, a game of luck, effort. Um, so, yeah, yeah. It just, I, I don't know. It's it's almost like it's the same story over again. And uh, I feel like we're all becoming crazy just with the, the way these uh, games have been going for the sense. Yeah, you. I think you make a good point about the potential immaturity of this team because that's a lot of that's a, something that we don't often factor into when we look at like lineups on paper. It's like okay, we have all these really good young players, so the top six is good, the top four D is good, or whatever. But we don't think about how they're all like twenty three years old and uh, and haven't really experienced winning in the NHL yet. Like uh, as you're saying, uh, Brady Kachuk fighting and standing up for his not not standing up for his teammates but trying to get his teammates going today like that's something that you like to see from your captain but also on the other hand for me it's like fighting their third pairing d and just kind of taking yourself out of the game when you're one of our best forwards or supposed to be one of our best forwards as well i'm not sure if i want that responsibility to have to be on brady all the time you know especially with a guy like castellick back in the lineup and then we also have McEwen some nights too like i get that brady you probably can't tell Brady not to fight. He's mm-hmm. he's going to find times to fight anyway, but it just, I don't know if it's that we need more toughness or we need more leadership in general, but it feels like a lot has to fall on Brady's shoulders kind of in both those categories, right? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think you hit it on the nail. And I just think there's, there's not that resiliency that a team really needs. Um, if you look at the team and, and just their age, like outside of Giroux and Tarasenko, and I guess you can throw Kubelik, in um in Hamannick, but it they're all essentially 25 or under right like they're i think mm-hmm. the sixth youngest team in the league um and you can notice you notice that and and you talk about brady kachuk and i was thinking about it is like oh this this is when his um energy and trying to rile up the teammate team worked but look at what happened on uh, against carolina where you know i don't think that's necessarily the right thing to do he did something similar against florida where he just kind of starts a brawl or starts a fight and kind of losing his composure and i feel this team doesn't have a lot of composure right now they they don't 
They're not able to go down a goal, be resilient, come back in the game, not let it affect them too much, keep pushing. Um, and then when all the weight and the pressure, because they're down three goals, they're like, okay, we'll play hard and, and try to come back. And they have these, like I always say, these like fake comebacks where oh, yeah. they're down three, like tonight, they're they're down three goals, they score. You feel like, okay, maybe they can get to three, two, maybe climb back in. In the end, it's, you know, they they already uh, dug their grave, right? So um, I, I don't know what will change, but I can tell that the team just seems to be going in the same, plays the same way all the time and really needs to to gain that composure. Mm-hmm. And it must be tough for a guy like Tarasenko too. I know you had the article about Batherson yeah. uh, and he was quoted as uh, telling yeah. that story about Tarasenko um, on the cup run and it's such a different vibe now like going yeah. from that to this like that's rough eh yeah no uh batherson was just like glowing about about tarasenko when i talked to him um and just could t- i don't know like i don't know what the stories were uh exactly but i think it, it involved a lot of um kind of uh war stories of, of of in a way just from the playoffs and then obviously their celebration but yeah, for Tarasenko, like, look at him and Drew. Like, those guys have probably been Ottawa's most consistent forwards in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. uh, outside of maybe Matthew Joseph. Um, just, I think he's been worth $5 million bucks all day um, this year, um, even though he didn't score for a long time. I thought he was playing well. He just couldn't score when he was on with Rourke Chartier. But obviously coming back home to, to St. Louis and – Putting up that dud, I'm sure he's he's not not too happy. And um, what I don't know if we're there yet, but it'll be interesting to see if this team's out of a playoff spot in March. Is he a trade candidate? Can you get a first round pick for him? Um, I, I honestly think they'd be in that realm um, with the way he's played uh, and obviously keeping half his salary. So uh, hopefully that's not the case. Hopefully they turn it around. They win five in a row. You start thinking about playoffs, but um, I do feel for a guy like him and a guy like Claude Giroux that have really played so well this year, and the team still has been so disappointing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're probably getting to the point where we got to consider those those UFAs as we head towards the trade deadline. Like, I think the fan base has has loved Tarasenko so far, and like in terms of his personality and his on ice play too. And like as we were talking about the inexperience, just. Tarasenko, even when he's not scoring, like you said, his all-around game and his defensive game and his ability to backcheck as well is just night and day compared to like 90% of the Sens forwards. Like like probably other than Giroud, really. It's just those two guys really stand out as the experienced guys where you can tell that they know that this isn't good enough and they are able to at least chip in a little bit better in terms of that all-around play. Um, but you're right that even though we're very satisfied with Tarasenko, we might just be in a position ultimately where where he has to get moved at the deadline. At least I would say that his play is probably worth a first round pick at this point. Yeah, no, I, I think it has been now. Let's see where we're at uh, then. I think that what's going to be interesting, let's say they're in a similar position to where they were last year, where they need a big march to make the playoffs uh, uh, in April. Um, what do they do? Do they stand pat? Do they make a make a deal? Um, who knows who their GM is? Maybe that'll be an interesting decision. Uh, I don't think that from being around the team, I don't think that's soon. Theos talked when 
about when he was um had his availability when they introduced Jacques Martin um and and didn't sound like anything was n- near um kind of a decision there uh but uh that's it, it's going to be very fascinating in Sensland and, and it feels like it hasn't stopped since the start of the season with Pinto and Dorian and the team skidding and the booze and the fire DJs so um, the nice thing about c- covering this team and uh, for you just being around them, there's always storylines, but uh, not necessarily the ones uh, people want. Definitely. It's it's never boring covering this team. Occasionally you'll get the boring game, but even when you have the boring game, you still have the uh, entertaining storylines like surrounding it, leading up to it, and potentially after as well. So you're 100% right about that. And, you know, when, when you talk about... Uh, covering the team and being there at the home games and practices too. I, I want to ask, like, what what do you think the general vibe was in the locker room sort of like leading into this road trip? Because this five-game road trip is going to probably make or break our season here. And I have to say, I'm yeah. not too optimistic after how it started off. But like, after after the rough loss at home too, like, do you think the group seemed pretty confident or, or was it more of a, a wishy-washy, dejected kind of vibe? Yeah, I mean, uh, I've only I like I saw them after the game, and and uh, obviously I don't know if people saw what Josh Norris said and and oh, what yeah. Brady Kachuk said. Uh, not not happy campers, um, but uh, I would say before the the Carolina game, things did feel like they were turning a little bit. Um, I the vibes like they're they're a pretty happy go lucky group. I would say, especially with DJ Smith, um, they're pretty jovial. Um, it doesn't feel like they're too down in the dumps or anything. Um, obviously after a game, uh, like, like Carolina, they, they will be, um, because they're professional athletes, but I'd say the, the, the mood's pretty good. It's a very close group. I would say, um, you can tell there's a lot of guys that, that like each other. Um, but, uh, what they kept talking about was just playing a lot of games because of Sweden. They hadn't really gotten a groove, um, but now they've played two games in three nights and they've lost both. So it's mm-hmm. that I, I understand what they, they, they meant by that because they did have long extended breaks. Um, but uh, arguably um, St. Louis is the easiest team on, on paper on this road trip and, and they put up a dud. It will be really fascinating to see what they do tomorrow night against Dallas, a really good structure, structured team, um, one of the best teams in the league. And if it's another four, two, five, one kind of lethargic game, uh, as you said, this might make or break the season and it might even be broken by tomorrow in a lot of ways. Um, even though that is a bit of hyperbole, but at the same time, um, they're going to be three games below 500. Um, they're making back all those games in hand and they're losing them all. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's a make or break, but I would say the team itself being around them overall, not, I wouldn't say like a very disgruntled group. Uh, everyone hates losing, but outside of that, I wouldn't say the vibes were necessarily super low or, or, or bad. Mm -hmm. That's, that is good to hear because, um, you, you don't want to have like a totally toxic vibe and that's probably, Toxic vibes are the type of situation where it's more likely for a coaching change to happen. So that's probably one of the reasons why uh, we've seen the coaching staff stick around. Yeah, I just wanted to, to add to that. It's and, and I'm not I never want to advocate for someone to lose their job. But mm-hmm. what's interesting is that 
clearly Brady, like all the young guys that grew up around, like their only coach in the NHL has been DJ Smith. Love DJ Smith. Right now, that doesn't mean DJ Smith being the coach for the Senators is the right thing, but they all love him. Yeah, he's the players' coach, right? So um, when Steos goes out and, and asks the players, um, especially the young ones, they all love him. So um, with regards to coaching change or anything along those lines, uh, that's why the reports have been that you know um, that the team is fully on board with him is because those young guys do really like DJ. I've seen them like joke around in the dressing room and, and DJ is a very likable guy. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, but at the same time, I, I think this team needs a bit more of maybe a hard ass, just someone to kind of um, I I'm like, I, I have a lot of family in Winnipeg. I've watched the jets forever. And like, I listen to Rick bonus and he talks about four checks and he talks about just the little details, like the last man up, the like the F3. It always feels like super meticulous. And you don't really get that a lot from DJ Smith pressers. Um, obviously, I'm not in the room, um, but it, I, I would just like a bit more structure, maybe someone to kind of um, bench guys, which DJ Smith has never really done, something along, along those lines. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting point that you bring up too. Is I've seen a lot of people say that they just, they wish that they would see DJ bench someone. Which on on one hand, I kind of get it because he's usually very calm behind the bench. He's not having big reactions after like penalties or goals against or anything like that. But in terms of like wanting to see accountability in the form of a benching, like I don't know, I don't know if I want to see that happen personally, just because I don't want things to get to that point. I don't know. Yeah. Like, like, do you think benching like that is is that great of a coaching tactic? Because I'm not sure. When I see people calling yeah, for it, it's, it's like you it's, would like to see accountability, but I don't know. Yeah, I it's it's a great question, a great dilemma. Like you look at Calgary, they bench Huberdo, nothing changed. But I don't know if anything would have changed either way if he wasn't benched yeah right um uh he's he's been asked that a couple times in the in the media availabilities and he basically said i don't have enough like i can't really bench guys because or get guys out of the lineup because of just their cap situation mm-hmm. uh, and the injuries that, too. that's yeah so that's not exactly benching um like obviously tonight he jungled the lines changed it up um and it seemed to mostly work um but it, it, I think it's more just the accountability um, and, and how do you do that as a coach? It is sometimes just benching a guy. Now, I don't think you put Tim Stutzler for the fourth goal and say, okay, you don't play the rest of the third period. You might say, hey, you you can't play that next shift. You've screwed up or something like that. So um, I don't know what other forms. And I think what you said is right, is like, what can you kind of do? Mm-hmm. Like, is this helpful? Are you just making Tim Stutzla less effective and less um, allowing for less confidence in this game because you benched him and it's a public humiliation, right? You don't want like a a Daryl Sutter kind of thing um, kind of arrive in in Ottawa. So it is a different, it is an interesting conundrum. And, and, um, but I I think it's more maybe the details and just um, focusing purely just on their defensive game, honestly because they can just be a complete mess in their own end. Mm-hmm. It's 
it's tough because in terms of that defensive play, like the last few games before the Carolina game, it seemed like we were seeing a decent amount of improvement with that, especially the five on five play, because obviously not really with the penalty kill. Uh, but it seems to have kind of taken a step backward in the last couple games. Uh, I feel like I don't know what to make of it. It just seems like this team goes on two to three game stretches where they'll look pretty good overall. And then they'll have these two to three game stretches where, where it's just not, nothing's clicking whatsoever. Uh, like I guess on the defensive side of things, like what do you make of these, these constant breakdowns, especially we can frame it as the second period too, because we hit, I think 40 goals against in second yes, period yes. today, we hit 40 dead on the nose. So it's like, and, and like the last game when, I came on the show for Carolina. I'm like, how do I even analyze these second periods where like, like what is it about the second period that causes all these goals against? It seems like a weird, almost anomaly to me. Um, I, Yeah. I, I wouldn't say all of it is the Senators terrible line changes, but it is definitely some of it. Like I wrote about this, the second period um, woes and, and you said that they're at 40 goals uh, allowed. They have 19 goals in, allowed in the first and third period so they have more than double the goals allowed in the second period alone than the first and third period which is just like i don't know if that's ever been done before at this time in the season um i do think the line changes i don't know like it's the nhl you think it can't be that hard at a certain point to to know how to when to to line change and and get off the ice and on the ice properly but you look at the mitch marner goal that kind of changed the tide of the game in the the uh, in the Leafs game to get them back in the game, obviously Sebastian Ajo yesterday uh, or on Tuesday, sorry, um, had a two on zero uh, leading to a Seth Jarvis goal. Um, those are the clear ones, um, but I, I I don't know what it is. But I, I would say what we talked about earlier is probably a lack of composure and, and sometimes just a lack of resiliency um, and and just not being ready to play. And uh, I don't know what to do, but it is a problem. Like it, you just look at the, like tonight they they were they they were only down one goal. They could have easily come back in the game, and they just pull up a dud for the first ten minutes, and then uh, the rest is history. So I don't know what the solution is, but it's a clear problem that needs to be addressed. And and for to some degree, it's definitely the. Uh, line changes that have just been atrocious all year and they've been burnt many times Mm -hmm. yeah i agree and i i think maybe it ties back to what we were talking about earlier about immaturity and inexperience because it's a lot of these stretches of play in the second periods where the goals happen in clumps like today it was uh like you were saying totally winnable game we're only down one and then two goals in a three minute span and we've had much worse uh goals closer together like in the carolina game obviously yeah seconds against the islanders yep yeah six seconds oh my god i forgot about that one god like it seems like they can't really stop the bleeding and they're they get kind of rattled after after something doesn't go their way right yeah i know exactly and and that's the the thing is that they they don't really like we you talked about it earlier that they only have one comeback win they don't have any uh extra points or, or or um like overtime just losses just because they don't they don't go to overtime because they never come back they don't have that resiliency to really get games take it back and and just that you know they they take a shot and then uh and then they receive a shot and then they take one and give it to the other team they kind of just wilt under the pressure 
time and time again. And as you said, I thought before that Carolina game, it seemed as though their play had become much better. They got better goaltending. And now it's back to the Senators of of two weeks ago. And uh, they've never, they haven't won more than three games in a row this year. They haven't lost more than three games in a row this year. And that's, that's, that's who they are. They're, they're not, they haven't played like a good hockey team because mm-hmm. they haven't been able to, to play consistency consistently. Sorry. Uh, and that's something they just need to do. Like it's crazy. You think about, Edmonton might be on a nine-game winning streak after tonight. I don't so think the sen- I I don't think the the Senators are going to do that. But let's say let's say they win Friday, uh, beat um, I don't know, I think it's Colorado next. I don't know the order, but let's say they win the next four games on the road. They're essentially very close to a playoff spot if that happens, right? They but they just can't string those games together and. I think that's a big sign of just a lack of maturity from mm-hmm. their best players, truthfully. Yeah, hundred percent agree. It's it's getting to the point where we say that the team is inconsistent, but it might just be that this is the consistency, like this is going to be the norm at, after a certain point. Um and I guess to 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 squeeze in one positive topic, I would say uh, someone who's been consistently great this season is Matthew Joseph, and I was very happy to see him get the goal uh, at the end of the game there. I was a little bit surprised because at first I thought it was Batherson's yeah. uh, stick that tipped it, but ended up being Joe. We saw him pointing to himself on the bench that it was his, um, and you had an awesome piece a couple of weeks ago uh, yeah. talking to him about his improved play this season, uh, so I, I'm wondering what your thoughts are on... he He's like... Is is he at like twenty points now? It's, it's quite a 18. good stat line. He's at eighteen and twenty four, and he had eighteen and fifty six last year. So he's wow. at his total from last year already. Mm. Um, he doesn't just being around him. He doesn't like to be reminded of his season last year. Um, and he's talked about how he was basically ailing the whole time. He battled injuries throughout last season. Um, yeah, I think he just feels really confident. Um, he's gone up and down the lineup. He's talked like in the article he talked about just playing with guys like uh, at the time like Tim Stutzla, Claude Giroux. Like obviously that makes his makes his life a bit easier. But he's he's been he's he's kind of gone up and down from the A to the NHL. Then was you know not for sure an NHL player for a long time. And and he's he talked to us just about how that's kind of built up his resiliency. Right. And that he's never really been the best player on any team he's uh, been on and just knowing kind of his role. And I think he's been the most consistent player. And and we think about how poor the senators have been at back checking. Matthew Joseph uh, has been amazing all season. He had that breakaway to uh, or kind of like semi breakaway in the I think it was in the the third period. Yeah, when he, uh, he stole it at the point, right? Yeah, right. And like how many times has he done that? Now he doesn't necessarily have the skill of Tim Stutzla to to score on all those chances, but just the fact that he's getting them all, um, and you can see the output that he's had. Um, it's it's pretty phenomenal. And uh he's a really hard worker. He's he has a big personality, he likes to talk off the ice, he he's very um chatty um and, and a nice guy but uh, a very hard worker and uh it's nice to see a guy that just puts in the work and, and kind of gets rewarded mm-hmm. yeah i think he seems like a really great guy everyone's really happy for him and i'm really happy that he's been able to get moved up the lineup this season because last season i felt like even though it was a rough one for him he was like constantly 
uh, in the bottom six with uh, some other players who also don't necessarily have that much of offensive skill. Whereas this year, he deserves to be moved up in the lineup. And since he has been, he like pretty much makes whatever line he's on better too. Like he sometimes he's like the the straw that stirs the drink, which is surprising. Yeah. Yeah, and like a bunch of the lines that he's been on, if you go on like Money Puck or like their Corsi numbers are like very, very good. Like he's just always whatever line, as you said, he's been on has been good. And even like tonight, like they put him with Greg and Batherson and all of a sudden they're getting chances. And um, when you can put him with some decent skilled players, he'll really elevate. It's just he can't elevate a lineup by himself. Like last year he was playing with Dylan Gambrell and no offense to Dylan Gambrell, but uh, I don't know, even know if he's an NHL player, right? So now he's playing with as you as you or as we talked about Stutzla, Greg Batherson, uh, Tarasenko. Um, just, just he just creates a lot of chances and plays really hard and retrieves pucks very well, um, forechecks very well. So um, he's been a really really good addition and that two point nine five million that we were talking about this summer that was an untradeable contract. I think uh, now we might get close to a first round pick. Um, oh yeah, if if, if they, um, the senators would elect to trade him, but I don't think they they will because uh, if he gets anywhere close to on a rate of eighteen points per in twenty four games, which would be what like fifty sixty points, um, very much worth two point nine five million. So uh, and and they have him signed to that for another two years as well. So uh, good for him. Yeah, talk about turning your trade value around so quickly too, because the the rumors were that it was going to cost like a pick along with Joseph to uh, and to move teams that are asking contract. for a first round pick. Yeah, that's that's horrendous. Like I get that he had a rough year, but even at the time I was like, that seems like too much because he still he was still a valuable player, even if he's only scoring like twenty five points in the whole year, he's still valuable, even if maybe a little overpaid. So thank God that move didn't happen. I'll put it that way. Yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, so but uh, good for him. And um, it will be I think another thing like on that is like Batherson has looked much better. I had a little feature on him, but he has, I think, now 17 points in his last 17 games. So he's really looking more like uh, the pre-injury from Aaron Dell, uh, shall we forget, uh, in, in 21-22. So that's been a nice little bright spot. Um, I, I still think Corpus Allo's actually looked pretty good the past couple of games. He's given up four goals, but again, I wouldn't really say any of them were really his fault. Yeah. Um, so uh, I think their goaltending's actually kind of come back to at least league average. They're not getting they're not getting games where their goalie just stands in their head and wins. But um, at the start of the year, it felt like everything would go in, and and now it, it seems like it's a just evening out. Um, I did talk to Corpus Allo about where he felt his game was ahead of the Columbus game. And he said, I feel good, but I don't like giving up three or four goals every time. So mm-hmm. uh, hopefully that can stop for him. But uh, I, I think the goaltending's kind of rounded up into shape a little bit of late. Uh, yeah, I agree. And it must be tough mentally for the goalies. Uh, like like Corpus Allo said, when you're giving up so many goals a night, even though you're still playing really well, like every time I see anyone criticize the Sens goaltending, sometimes it is fair, but other times you see people like on the outside, just like looking at the save percentage totals and being like, well, that's not good enough. It's like, well, did you watch the goals against? Like usually it's, it's not our goalies fault, like 80% of the time, I feel like. So it, it must be rough mentally on the goalies too, eh? Yeah, no, for sure. And uh, Corpus Allo is a very, uh, he's a nice guy. He's, he's very much like a goalie's goalie, like very, 
um, just like what you think of a typical goalie. I, I think Forsberg is a bit more relaxed, I would say. Um, but they have a very good partnership. Um, I don't know if people know, but like they played in the AHL and won a Calder Cup together. Yeah. I think in 2016, I could have the year wrong, uh, in, in Columbus. Uh, and uh, you can tell they really like each other. They're always talking to each other after practice. It's a very good relationship. Um, I don't have other goalie relationships to kind of compare it to, but uh, definitely um, they have a really good rapport um, and kind of very uh, good together. I think uh, their play together, you know, maybe can be, you can pick that apart a little bit more, but um, it's interesting just seeing such a close knit goalie tandem. Um, and uh, uh, I wonder what that's like for a lot of goalies around the league, because it's such now it's becoming a tandem position where, you rarely see a goalie get more than 60 starts unless it's like a Connor Hellebuck or Andre Vasilevsky type goalie. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's a good thing too, because you, you really don't want to be overworking these guys. And also from like a salary cap perspective, if you are starting a goalie like 70 games a year and he's winning all those games, you're going to be paying him like 10 million, like a Bobrovsky type deal. So yeah. it, it probably allows for more flexibility from teams where uh, you got to have two guys. So you can't have one guy making too much. Yeah, no, and and that's definitely the case. I do think you can even see like Sorokin got eight million, and he's one of the best goalies in the world. Although he's having a bit of a down-ish year for his standards, but yeah, goalies don't get paid anymore. Uh, Connor Hellebuck got eight and a half million. He's probably not getting that anywhere else for seven years, right? So, um, I think the goalies like what Corpusell is making four million. Forsberg is I think two and a half or two point seven five. Um. So you're paying six million dollars to your goalies, give or take. That's that's not too bad. Um, and uh, obviously, Corpusalo is here for a long time, but even Forsberg has one more year left on his deal. So, um, I, I'm interested to see Mad Sogard going forward. He was playing really well in Belleville, got hurt. Um, he seems to be the goalie of the future, and uh, um, we'll, we'll see where that goes. But I think the Sens will be okay in the goalie position, but um. It is also a big reason for where they are right now, like just especially the start of the year, because they did not get the saves they needed uh, to begin the year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right that it definitely uh, could have been better early in the year. I I feel like going forward, I have a pretty decent optimism for the Sens goalies. It's just the the play on the ice that has to improve in front of them. And and who knows if that's going to happen. Um I think for today, we're probably going to skip on the chat segment. It was a little quiet. People are, I can tell from the chat comments, people are just angry tonight, like just letting it out. Um, But one thing that I do want to bring up that uh, actually just got a comment from Duck in the chat saying, who would boo a player on their own team? And I was actually just going to get to this is that I can't believe how badly Blues fans booed Jordan Cairo tonight. Like, I don't think I've ever seen anything like that before. Yeah, I've never seen it for that type of, kind of incident um it's interesting because obviously Barube won the Stanley Cup I, I don't believe Kairu was on that team in I don't think so I don't believe so um and it's you know shout out to the St. Louis Blues fans for just knowing that comment like that came out today uh and then reacting to it like that's kind of that's some elevated uh fan mm, that's a, a fan base that's passionate and, and paying attention they they sure haven't checked out on the season yet no, and uh, I wonder when the buck stops at Doug Armstrong because he is. I I don't know if this is true, but he is. He might be the most tenured, the longest tenured GM. He's been there since two thousand eight, which is 
pretty crazy. Oh, wow. I didn't realize uh, it was that long. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I don't. Yeah. So I, I would have to think about who else is on that list, but he's two, one or two. Um, yeah. Just I'd imagine like what Senators player would get booed? Uh, maybe Kachuk after those comments. Uh, I get uh, what was it like a month ago when he kind of called out the fans? I could have seen that, um, but yeah. Uh, you know, the closest thing I can think of is uh, Sergey Gonchar in 2011. I think it was. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big... But that wasn't even like any for any comments or anything. It was just because people thought that he was playing poorly, and then he shut them all up with his play because he was really good after in the next. He was year really after that. good. Yeah, he was really good in the Senators jersey. He, that that's one of like the best Senators free agent signings ever. Oh, for sure. And that it's a low bar, but uh, <laughs> I would say it being what I'm trying to think of who else like is up there for best senator signings but um, i feel like to, uh clark MacArthur as well is probably in my top five he, he was really good for a couple of years um tarasenko if he stays he could, for longer, he could be just the way he's been playing but um i do think that the sense to kind of change topics a little bit will get more free agents um i think people like to be in ottawa i think the group is very fun to be around and i think that's some room for optimism i don't think we have a winnipeg jets situation where no one wants to go to them uh or even the maybe maybe even the calgary flames with what's happening there and their stadium as well um so i think there is optimism uh it just feels i don't know how you feel about it but it feels as though it's just this huge delayed gratification like eventually they'll actually become good i'm not Mm -hmm. too worried but it should have been even arguably last year that they were a playoff team. And now it's, we're probably going to look at 2025, but um, to, to answer the question, that is one of the craziest things to see their own. And he, I think he got an assist uh, at least tonight. So I think it would have been really funny if he scored just to see what the crowd reaction was going to be. Like, do you cheer the goal and then boo when they announce his name after or something? Cause they booed when he got a penalty, when they, when the announcer announced that. Well, I thought at first, I thought it was like a Zub type where it was like Kairou. Oh, yeah. It was at first. <laughs> but then I realized it wasn't that because then they did it when he went to the penalty box. That was my kind of hint. But uh, I thought it was more like a Zub thing, which would have been even cooler. But no one will take Zub from the Sense fans. So, yeah, no, they can't do it like us. Yeah. But yeah, um, I guess to wrap it up, uh, hopefully we can get some better games on this road trip, eh? Um, we we don't want to see the team coming back to town like just totally out of it. I'm hoping that they can at least stay afloat, uh, and hoping that that the vibes around the team will will remain pretty high, like you said, even though even though it's been a rough patch here. Yeah, no, totally. I, I do think they'll they'll turn around because I just feel they'll just find. I I feel just watching this team, they're just going to be close to 500, win a couple games, lose a couple games, so. Uh, but it is, as you said, at, to kind of start the show, this is a make or break uh, road trip. Uh, it feels as though they're cracking, but let's see if they, you know, completely uh, break uh, all the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Dallas tomorrow night. Uh, my co-host Charlie will be covering that one here on STPN. Uh, before we go, would you like to plug where the people can find you, Alex? Yeah, um, uh, I'm at uh, Behind the Play Podcast. Actually, I think uh, we don't know for sure, but uh, it looks like uh, the 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 pod father of this network might be coming on Behind the Play. So uh, check out maybe have uh, Steve Dangle coming on the show in the next couple of days. I have Tara Sloan um, as well. You can find all my um, stuff 
at uh, the hockey news when it comes to the Sens. So feel free to follow me at Alex BTB, which is just the, um, the acronym for behind the play on Twitter. And uh, yeah, check out all my stuff. Always send me a DM if you disagree with an article or anything like that. Always uh, love enjoying uh, kind of interacting with people. So um, and thanks again for for having me on. Yeah, thanks so much for joining. It, it was an awesome episode. Uh, that's uh, you're a man of the people there leaving your DMs open, eh? There you go. Yeah, no, I am. I am. I, I can take I can take it all. I'm, I'm, I'm good that way. For sure. Yeah. For sure. But I'm sure you probably don't get too many arguments. No, not too many. Not too many. I feel like I feel like the fan base is pretty much in agreement with with most things right now. So yeah, there's no like divided player. It's like everyone wants DJ Smith fired, which like I understand why the fans do uh, to some extent. Uh, there's no player like dramatically underperforming. Uh, it's just it's just it's just despair. That that's that's the key word. Yeah. It's just despair. So mm-hmm. we're all in it together. We are, we are. Hopefully less despair coming up for the Sens. Um, thank you everyone so much for watching or listening. Subscribe to STPN if you're not already subscribed. Leave a like on the stream and be sure to check out all of Alex's work as well, his writing and his podcast. And yeah, have a good night, everyone.